Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, October the 7th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we are going to be taking a look at another lecture by C.F.W. Walther on Law and Gospel. This was the 25th evening lecture on April the 24th, 1885. And he has a little introduction to Thesis 14. And so we'll take a look at the introduction first of all. I want to read what he starts with. The tasks of a pastor of Jesus Christ are many difficult and demanding. The most difficult and demanding task of all, beyond question, is the task of proclaiming the pure doctrine of the gospel of Christ and at the same time exposing, refuting, and rejecting teachings that are contrary to the gospel. A pastor who does this will discover by experience the truth of the old saying, telling the truth makes enemies. Have you ever experienced that? Where telling the truth, people don't like you very much. In fact, when you go through this particular evening lecture, it sounds very much like uh, today. For example, he talks about false Christians who attack those who teach a faith and doctrine different from theirs, even if it's in agreement with the Bible. These fake Christians regard those with sound doctrine as disturbers of the peace, peace-hating, quarrelsome, and nasty people. Boy, do we ever get that today. For example, people are, oh, suspect of being homophobia because we're against homosexuality as a valid lifestyle. And that means we hate these people. I mean, that's what's behind that. Or if we think that abortion is the murder of a child, therefore we don't really have compassion for women who don't want to have a baby, etc. These fake Christians do not know how hard it is for bold champions to go public and they become targets for the hatred, enmity, slander, scorn, and the persecution of people. Yeah, I was watching on YouTube, some individuals are talking about how they're not even allowed to go on campus anymore and express their opinion because many of the campus students, they don't like what is being said. And so I was watching one lecture in front of a whole bunch of people and the protesters were outside the window, banging on the window during the lecture, trying to make enough noise so nobody could hear that person. That, that means freedom of speech is really in trouble. Walther says, as soon as the word of God is proclaimed, people will split into two camps. Some will receive it with joy. 
Others will be offended by it and will begin to hate and persecute those who receive it. Well, we need to understand why this happens because the church is in the domain of the devil, the prince of this world. So it is called the church militant, which means it will remain such as a kind of a military operation until the blessed end. Whenever a church appears not to be a militant church, but a church at ease, that is a false church, and you can rely on that teaching. So that pastors who say, well, I'm not going to bring up these immoral issues because it's going to split the congregation. Of course, on Stewardship Sunday, they bring up the view that you need to be giving more money to the church, but they won't deal with biblical topics that God wants us to take. You see, Walter is talking to future pastors, and he wants them to be a shepherd who will lead the sheep to good pastures. Yet, what good is that if he flees when he sees the wolf approaching. As a pastor, it is impossible to escape the affliction if you wish to be a faithful servant of God. So, recognize this. This is a slogan Walter thinks pastors should have. Your cause will always be rejected as evil. Just, just look at what happened to Jesus and the disciples. All of them, except maybe John, were martyred. Jesus was crucified because what he was saying was contrary to common sense religion. And therefore, people were afraid the Romans were going to come in and take everything away. In other words, a pastor does tell the good news about Jesus Christ, but he also needs to make sure that errors of doctrine are not hidden because the more you hide them, the more harmful they become. It's therefore necessary that they be exposed to the light and fought against. Uh, for instance, one of the errors we're going to be looking at is this idea that you create your own faith by deciding to believe in Jesus Christ, inviting him into your heart. Well, why is that error so bad? Because many churches who believe that do not baptize infants because infants can't make a choice to believe in Jesus Christ. So they get this idea that they're innocent. Well, infants are just as sinful as adults. So we now move into the 14th thesis. And when you first hear this, boy, a real question mark comes up. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you demand that faith is a condition for justification and salvation. It would be wrong to preach that people are righteous in the sight of God and are saved not only by their faith, but also on account of their faith, for the sake of their faith, or in view of their faith. 
Well, that's really kind of an important point to be making because I, I, I know myself on law and gospel. Uh, how many times have we said, you're not saved by obedience to the law. You're saved by faith in the promises of the gospel. How can Walther be speaking against this idea that person is not saved on account of their faith, for the sake of their faith, or in view of their faith? In, in fact, in some Reformed churches, that's the idea you got. Because if they're following Calvin and double predestination, God has already predestined people to hell and predestined them to heaven. So how do you know which one you are? And the teaching often is, well, take a look at your faith. Do you have faith? And if you do, then you're predestined to heaven. Well, what happens when that person who has faith falls from the faith? In other words, they become a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim. And when you ask a Reformed, they'll say, well, they never had real faith. Well, then that even puts you in a worse situation because how can you say, therefore, that you have faith if you can fall from faith? You see, here's the point. If a pastor consistently preaches that, is a, that a person is saved and made righteous in the sight of God by faith, that is a genuine evangelical preacher. What more could you ask for? They claim everybody knows that salvation by faith is the essence of the gospel and the entire word of God. But a genuine evangelical preacher is not defined merely by saying a person is saved and made righteous in the sight of God by faith alone. The key point is what is the context where that word faith is used? When many of them say by faith, they really mean something different from what the prophets, the apostles, and our Lord and Savior understood. For example, the rationalists, and these were the people who wanted to use reason, they also taught you're saved by faith. But when they mentioned faith in Jesus Christ, they were talking about your acceptance of the excellent moral teachings that Christ proclaimed. They held that a person becomes a true disciple of the Lord and is made righteous and saved by accepting these doctrines of virtue. That's terrible. And when push comes to shove, even the Roman Catholic Church will even say that faith alone makes a person righteous and saves him. But when they say by faith, they're actually talking about a faith that is joined with love. So you're saved by faith and love, which is something you do. This is really an important understanding 
Because when you tell somebody by faith, you can always ask them, well, how do you understand faith? Well, I understand faith that there is a God who exists and it's obvious he exists because look at the world and creation and some God had to put all that together, even if it was by evolution. Well, what they misunderstand is faith is not believing in such a God, but faith is trusting the promises of the gospel. You see, if you give the impression that you come to faith by your own power, then you are saying that, guess what? You're saved by your own act, by your own work, not solely by the doing and dying of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A lot of people think, well, Jesus does his part, but then we must contribute something. We have to make a decision to believe. There was a statement from a gentleman named Lut Hart, and here's what he said. Repentance and faith are required of man as his rendered duty at every stage of the history of salvation. The requirement of repentance can be met immediately by the person who is called by grace. And he says, faith is a free act of obedience that man renders. Notice, he is saying that God does his part and then man does his part. Uh, for example, I've said this about John 3.16. Every Bible verse can be interpreted in one of two ways, the wrong way and the right way. And here's what they do with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Okay, that's God's work. That whoever believes in him will not perish. That's my work, to believe in him. In other words, you would say to God, I've done my share, now you do yours. Our God is saying, I'm not asking much of you, but I do require that you repent and believe. You see, if you consider anything to be a gift, is that something you are required to do in order to get that gift? We have a gospel that proclaims, here indeed is a refuge for sinners. Jesus Christ is the faithful sa Savior to whom we can all flee. And we should offer him nothing more than say, here are my sins. Then Christ will ask us, so to speak, do you not have anything more? And we should answer, no, all I have is my sin. Then he will say, fine, you are the right one for me. You see, if you offer God something to offset your sin after Jesus Christ died on the cross, you're really going to have a problem. Preaching of the law is important because it helps a people to understand that they need a Savior. 
in evangelical promises, uh, the word if can either be syllogistic, which means it's a consequence, or it can be etiological, which means the reasons for being saved. So in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of that, Jesus says, and if you do these things, you'll be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Now, when you read that, it sounds like that's going to be the cause of your perfection, doing what God tells you to do in the Sermon on the Mount. But that is a total misunderstanding of the Sermon on the Mount. It isn't the basis of your salvation, but rather it is the consequence of true faith that, guess what? You then begin to obey the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that comes about passively, not actively. It's, it's kind of like um, faith is merely a passive instrument. Let me give you an example. You're driving a car and you have a car accident. And when the ambulance arrives, guess what? You're unconscious, but you're bleeding and having trouble breathing. So the ambulance driver begins to administer maybe a blood transfusion or other medical aid to you. You have no idea what is going on. You're unconscious. You don't accept it, but you receive it. And that's how we are to understand the Christian faith. It is, faith is a passive instrument in which you are given a gift. You know, it's one thing Gerhardt said, to be justified on account of faith in contrast to being justified by faith. In the former, faith becomes a meritorious cause. And I've heard people say this. How do you know you're a Christian? Oh, because I have faith. And that faith becomes the basis of why I am saved. No, it doesn't. Faith is an instrumental cause, not a meritorious cause. It's the instrument by which God gives you the promises of the gospel. For example, in relation to salvation, faith cannot be our work. It is not an achievement of ours. God alone works in me. That's like saying a newborn baby, oh, look at that. That baby is eating the food it gets, wearing the clothes it gets, sleeping in the bed it gets. Nobody's going to think that that was a work of the baby. It's instead passively receiving the food and the clothes and the bed because of a wonderful mother and father. So this is very important to understand that it's one thing to say you're saved by faith. It's quite another thing to say it in a way that that becomes the cause of your salvation. No, 
We are saved, not on account of our faith, but we're saved because God has given us a faith that receives the salvation of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, every time the Bible talks about faith and then justification, it uses it in such a way that faith doesn't become the cause of your salvation, but becomes the means by which you receive salvation. In fact, we talk about word and sacrament as the means of grace. So faith never can be a condition, properly speaking, required as a condition for us to be justified. No, the reason you are justified is because of the life, the suffering, the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Faith simply receives the blessings offered to people because of Jesus Christ. For example, it would be foolish and absurd to call faith a condition. In uh, one commentator on Romans 5.10, he says, we have not been redeemed and reconciled, nor have we had our sins atoned for conditionally. Conditionally means, well, on the basis of your obedience. Rather, we have been declared absolutely redeemed in the most perfect and complete manner as far as the merit and effectiveness of the act are concerned. Now, we receive with enjoyment salvation, but faith is necessary because it's nothing else than the appropriation of the atonement, satisfaction, and reconciliation of Christ. What does that mean? Faith doesn't become a condition that you have to meet as the cause of your salvation. Faith instead is the means. It would be like your five-year-old son comes to you and says, Dad, I'd like to go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger. And you say to him, no problem, uh, just all you need is a car. Now, that can be understood in one of two ways. Number one, that a five-year-old is going to be able to drive a car? No. What, what your dad is telling you is, come on with me and I'll drive you. So the driving to McDonald's is not something that the five-year-old does, but it's a way he's going to get his food. Similarly, we dare not think that our faith becomes a condition we meet in order to be justified. So we don't want to give the impression that, why am I saved? I'm saved in light of my faith. I'm saved in view of my faith. You see, we're making faith the item that saves us. Or, 
as the thesis says very clearly, that I'm saved because the sake of my faith. Yes, God looks at Christians and he sees faith, but not as the cause of your salvation. The cause of your salvation is Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we do not appreciate hearing the law because the law needs to be preached in order that we come to an understanding that we need a savior. And so when somebody asks you, are you going to be saved? And you can say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He paid the price for what I have done wrong, either in thought, word, or deed. And thereby, the burden of you having to be obedient in order to become a child of God is as far distance as a regular child has to be obedient in order to become the child of the parents. No, that came about by being begotten or adopted. So, this is really an important thing that when somebody's saved by faith, we need to ask them, what do you mean by that? And if it means that it's a work I've done, that is false teaching. But if it's the work the Holy Spirit has done, that is correct. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be taking a look at the Gospel reading for this coming Sunday about the marriage feast. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.